Welcome to episode 170 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 170 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. Just in general, just great. (laughs) How about you? I am great as well. (laughs) Any highlights you'd like to share? Well, tomorrow is my 29th wedding anniversary. That's kind of big, right? Happy anniversary. Yeah. 29 years, that's a long time. Are you going to do a quarantine anything? Well, I'm going to cook. You know, restaurants are open here. And my husband's like, let's go out to eat. Let's go. Where do you want to go? The one place that we love to go, they're closed. Like, you know, they are like on a vacation. Like a lot of places will close. Local restaurants will close for a week, you know, in the summer. And so he's like, well, the one that we like to go to a lot is closed. I'm like, I'd really rather just cook. Let's just stay home. Nice. Like I really would rather just cook. That's (laughs) I like my food better. So I do too. Yeah. (laughs) What's up with you? Anything new? Two things I'd like to share with listeners. One, I listened to, wait, why am I asking you this? I was going to say, do you ever listen to Peter Atiyah's podcast? I do not. I listen to zero podcasts. (laughs) Like I really listen to zero. And if someone's like, you really should listen to this. It's fabulous. I'm like, is there a transcript? (laughs) I'm just not a listener. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Well, for those who do listen, Peter Atia recently had an interview all on autophagy with an autophagy expert. I learned so much about autophagy. Who was the expert? I'm curious. It was with Eileen White, PhD. But specifically, it was really about the role of autophagy and cancer. I don't want to like discourage people from autophagy because literally autophagy is incredible, but it was a really, really deep dive into autophagy and specifically how like tumors and cancers actually can use autophagy to like, that's how they often can stay alive. Yeah, I actually read an analysis of that just very recently, like in the past couple days, and it, it talked about that point, but In the scheme of things, autophagy is more likely to be beneficial to preventing cancer than it is for you to worry about in case you have the kind of cancer that doesn't respond well. That was the way it was written that I just read. 100%. I was about to say that the episode, like it's honestly the deepest dive into autophagy I've ever listened to in my entire life. (laughs) I posted it in my Facebook group, which everybody should join, by the way. IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. But in any case, I posted it in there and was like, everybody listen to this. And one person was like, I listened to this three times. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, and it's like two hours. But it goes deep into like how autophagy actually works on like a very, very scientific level. Her work is specifically on creating drugs or mechanisms that could actually turn off autophagy specifically in cancerous cells. Beyond that, like as a preventative or like the health of the body, I mean, you 100% want autophagy. So this is more like an acute situation type thing. The only reason I popped that in so quick is because sometimes that actually scares people. They're like, do I want it? Do I not want it? And everything positive can have a drawback, even drinking water. You could drink too much water and, and have water poisoning. You know, what is it called? Hyper? I can't remember the word. But everything good can have a drawback. And autophagy is one of those things, too. But 
for the most part, we should not be worried about that because the good outweighs the possible theoretical problems. If you are diagnosed with cancer, I think she would probably say work with a, you know, a cancer team that understands your type of cancer. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they talk about like autophagy with cancer prevention and autophagy paired with actually cancer protocols. It was a really, really fascinating conversation. It makes it very evident that it's in these cancer situations where this mechanism of action is, it's basically like the tumor or the cancer hijacking, you know, a system that otherwise is beneficial. It's hijacking it for its own use. And that's not happening in all cancers. It's just a, a certain few. No, no, no. Right. But the, the key is working with your team. You don't, you know, if you find out you have cancer, you don't just want to assume that autophagy is going to be great for your type of cancer. I just realized I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even say what autophagy is just for any new listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so for listeners who are not familiar, autophagy, it's actually a state that happens a lot during fasting with low protein, but it's basically where the body goes and starts using old broken proteins, residual proteins throughout the body and breaks them down and uses them for itself. It's kind of like deep cleaning and repurposing in a way. It's a really, really beneficial system. And it's it's actually probably one of the reasons fasting is so incredible and, and healing and healthy. So just wanted to clarify. <laughs> and oh, for listeners, I put a link though to the episode in our Himalaya playlist, which is called Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like. By the way, we're not a Himalaya Partners show anymore, in case you're wondering, but we still love Himalaya. So, but you can also follow us on iTunes because apparently that's really helpful and we should be promoting that. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then the second thing, did I tell you about the Apollo Neuro device? I don't think so. If you did, I forgot what it is. What is it? Oh my goodness. I have it on right now. Game changer. I'll put a link in the show notes because I interviewed the founder, but basically, oh my goodness, I'm like so excited. I want to give it to everybody. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. This is definitely not something I know. If I were to receive a grant, Jen and I were just talking about receiving grants. If I were to receive a grant, I think I would buy this device and give it to everybody. It's like a wristwatch and it uses sound wave therapy to activate the same pathways as touch, like human touch in the body. And so it basically, with the touch of a button, can turn on your parasympathetic healing rest state to combat chronic stress and things like that. And it comes with an app. And so it has different programs to activate different levels of the parasympathetic state. Oh my goodness. And they've done a lot of clinical trials on it. And they've shown in the clinical trials changes in cortisol changes and heart rate variability. It actually activates similar pathways as tapping, breath work, and meditation, but it's doing that through the touch receptors. So you don't have to like do the work. You just turn it on. It's the coolest thing ever. That does sound cool. I have it on right now. So for listeners, like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes. Jen, you should get one. It's amazing. It really does sound cool. Yeah, I'd not heard of that before. He said it's probably the closest to tapping out of all the modalities. Tell me again what it's called. It's called Apollo Neuro. Yeah. For listeners, you can actually get it 15% off. The link is apolloneuro.com slash Melanie Avalon, I believe. I can double check on that. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's amazing. I want to get you one, Jen. Well, I would not say no if you could get me one. <laughs> hmm, maybe it's your anniversary tomorrow. Well, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But in any case, shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. Let's get started. 
To start things off, we have an email from Regine. The subject is Journal of Proteomics IF Study and Question About Accessing Fat Stores. And Regine says, Hello, my wonderful ladies in alphabetical order. <laughs> I love that she said that. Jen and Melanie. Oh my God, thank you. I love you guys. My friends complain I no longer call them during my commute to slash from work, which I used to do before. Hey, this is because I have been binge listening to your podcast. I started about three months ago from your first one to your most current. I am happy I'm now up to date podcast 167. This is a really recent question. She says, I started IF around January thanks to a friend of mine who told me that she was doing IF as a lifestyle and that in the process, she had lost a lot of weight. Initially, I would play a ping pong game of doing 16-8 for a couple of weeks and digressing for another couple of weeks. But thanks to your podcast, I ended up seeing the light and it has now been a couple of months since May 2020 that I've been doing one meal a day. Sometimes 23-1, sometimes like Eugen, 19-5, with no digressions. I love it. Anyhow, here are two things I want to share with you slash ask you. First, have you heard of the study done by the Journal of Proteomics? Google it if you have not. It says intermittent fasting from dawn to sunset for 30 consecutive days is associated with anti-cancer proteomic signature and upregulates key regulatory proteins of glucose and lipid metabolism, circadian clock, DNA repair, cytoskeleton remodeling, immune system, and cognitive function in healthy subjects. Jen, too bad this was not yet published when you published your Fast Feast Repeat book, which for listeners is Jen's new New York Times bestselling book. Yay! (laughs) She says, I am sure you would have quoted the findings. I am halfway done with your book, but I assume this article had not yet been published. I think it is a recent article. First, we can talk about that article. Jen, had you read that article? You know, I read everything there was at the time, but this is something people don't realize. I actually finished writing Fast Feast Repeat last year in August. (laughs) That's how long it took to get it through the publishing process. I finished it in August. It took till June. So anything that was published from July of 2019 and on did not make it into the book. So that's something to know about the world of publishing. It does not move quickly. So like I didn't say anything about the New England Journal of Medicine article that came out in December of 2019. So anyway. Yeah, to that point, because I I sort of want to write another book and I'm like, I guess if I start now, I mean, probably be like 2022 even, you know, and because that doesn't even include the like pitching process. Right. It took over a year when we first started pitching it to publishers to final book being in the people's hands. It took 15 months. Yeah, it's crazy. If that was more recent, then it, it wasn't in there. But yeah, proteomics is the study of proteins, by the way. So. Oh, so this actually really ties into what we were talking about at the beginning. It does. You know, anti-cancer proteomic signature. I did not plan this at all. That's actually kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's what we were actually just talking about before that, you know, the processes that are created while in the fasting state are very protective, anti-cancer. Anti-cancer. Yeah, that word is in there. So again, anybody who ever hears some cancers don't respond well to autophagy, don't panic. It's just a matter of knowing, you know, what you have. And it's much more anti-cancer than than these few cancers that don't respond well with autophagy. Do we know if that's a true statement? That's what I read recently. I read that the analysis was 
For those of us who don't have cancer, we should not be worrying about a theoretical cancer we do not have that does not respond well to autophagy and therefore avoiding autophagy. Because for those of us who are not diagnosed with cancer, just as this study that Regine Sinis says, autophagy is associated more with preventing cancer than the few rare cases of certain cancers that don't respond well to autophagy. So you have to err on the side of more likely to be a benefit than could be a problem if you have very few certain cancers. Does that make sense? Autophagy is not going to create cancer. There's just the potential of if if you have diagnosed cancer. A certain kind, yeah, certain. Of it manipulating that pathway. But besides that... Oh, and for listeners, we will put a link to the study in the show notes that she talks about. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 170. Okay, back to her question. Here it is. First, let me tell you a little bit more about me. I am 55, no health issues for now, about 5'4", and I weigh about 140 pounds, so I know I am not overweight, but I would love, because I am vain, to be 125 pounds. I know I have lost weight because I feel it in my clothes, but have not really used a scale. And who knows, I may never use one. But I have this pair of pants, which I wore more than 10 years ago, and the day I can fit in it, I will know I have reached my desired weight slash body. Anyhow, here is the long-awaited question. Even without knowing the existence of IF, I would very seldom eat breakfast. I only ate lunch and dinner. People would tell me why, and I would say, why waste calories if I'm not hungry? Somehow, I am not hungry in the morning, and in fact, if or when I do eat in the morning, I end up being more hungry for lunch. Why is it that my body was feeling this way even without knowing the IF concept? Could it be that somehow, without knowing IF, and having done much, my body was already adept at accessing my fat stores? Thanks so much. I love you guys. Regine. P.S. from Gaithersburg, Maryland, from a Haitian American. Awesome. You know, Regine, we hear that all the time from people, people that naturally didn't feel like they needed to eat breakfast and they felt better when they skipped it. But due to societal pressures, they started eating breakfast because they heard that they needed to and that it was good for them. And then their struggle really began. So this is not something new. You know, I think that if we all had just been left alone to our own devices and just taught to eat when you're hungry, I think a lot more people would have not been eating breakfast. I know my own children in high school, they didn't eat before they went to high school. They would just go off to school, and I didn't force them to eat. They just naturally didn't want to eat when they first woke up. So I think that that's a very normal way of being. And then we force ourselves to eat and muck it all up, right? What do you think, Melanie? There's really something to her point. She was saying, like her personally, her body was adept at accessing fat stores. And I've actually thought about this, that, you know, I think some people their metabolic state, they're just naturally better with dealing with diet and fuel processing, fat, sugar. And so I think for those people who have really nice metabolic control, nice insulin sensitivity, things like that, robust would be the word, I guess, that they seem to more naturally be able to, you know, eat when hungry and not be eating like all the time. Whereas I feel like some people just don't seem to have that control. And I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's environment, if it matters, like what you're grew up eating, but some people, you know, feel like they always could eat all the time. Like I growing up, even if I wasn't hungry for breakfast, I like just loved eating breakfast. But I agree with her. Like if I ate breakfast, I was definitely hungrier for lunch. And if I ate something like cereal, I was like super starving. Oh yeah. Same, same, same. It's funny though. She's saying like questioning 
even without knowing the IF concept, like why would her body naturally do that? But it's because I think if the body's functioning correctly, it actually is natural. I think so too. You know, we talk about metabolic flexibility and I genuinely believe that being metabolically flexible is our natural state and we mess it up over time. So I've I've started reading your book, Jen, <laughs> working my way through it. And I liked you, you made a comment about how if we were naturally, you know, like hunter-gatherers foraging or I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but you said something about like, if we were, if we had to naturally, you know, go out and get our food every day and get it and process it and secure it. And we were moving around and, you know, eating like what we were hungry for that meal, we probably wouldn't have, you know, an obesity problem at all. We wouldn't. No, I, I, I don't think we would. I mean, people in their natural environment, you know, we people that have not been impacted by the modern era, there are very few communities like that now, right? You know, people still living in touch with, you know, their own food and not the westernized food systems, but those indigenous populations to different regions that have not been westernized, that are still eating the way that their ancestors did, you know, they don't have these issues. And then the second, the second that gets modernized, it's like everything just goes. Yeah. It's like, here, hey, you're eat like us. You're going to be sick just like us. You know, if we could just leave them alone, they'd be better. And, you know, the, the work of Dr. Weston Price, he I know you've read his work, too. He did the research, and gosh, was it the 20s and 30s that he traveled around the world and studied populations that still ate ancestrally the way that their ancestors had, and they were so healthy compared to those of us eating a processed diet? Yeah, I'm actually ashamed to say that because his book is Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, but... (laughs) It's on my bookshelf, but there's not an audiobook of it. So I actually haven't read it. But I'm, I mean, I've always, I'm obviously very familiar with his work. I need to read his book, though. I don't think I ever have read it. I mean, just the whole TLDR, too long, didn't read. <laughs> Eat real foods like your ancestors ate. Stay away from the processed modern foods. That's really what it is. I mean, he, he was a dentist, so he found that their mouths were not overcrowded. They didn't have the crooked teeth that we have. People who ate the healthy diet of their ancestors, the real foods, they had healthy teeth. Of course, that was his focus. He was a dentist, but it applies to all aspects. They developed differently physically. They developed differently. And so, and, and what's interesting is, you know, they didn't all eat the same. You know, people living in, you know, the Arctic regions didn't eat the same way people ate near the equator, but they were just as healthy, even though they were eating completely different foods, but they were eating real foods. Like I said, I love his work. I need to read it, like have it in the, have it in the brain. <laughs> um, so the teeth stuff is fascinating though. The teeth. The teeth, right. You know, and I had such terrible teeth. I had teeth pulled because they were all crooked. They didn't even fit in my mouth and, and braces for years. And yeah. Because yeah, he found it actually affected like the, the formation of the arch. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. This is from Jamie, and the subject is carnivore slash keto. Hi, ladies. I'm 31 years old. I lost over 100 pounds years ago before I had kids. Then I got pregnant with a singleton, and three years later, twins. I am a very busy mom returning to work soon, but still trying to lose weight. I also have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. I am currently eating keto, but interested in a carnivore approach from listening to podcasts with Dr. Sean Baker. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you for your tips and your podcast on clean fasting. I have started to implement this as I am guilty for monk fruit slash sugar-free coffee syrups. Awesome, awesome. So I've actually had 
two carnivore episodes to date on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. I'll put links to them. One is with Dr. Sean Baker. One is with Paul Saladino and Paul Saladino. I just booked him again. He's coming back on because he actually Jen, similar to you. He released his book, The Carnivore Code, like self-published it. I mean, it instantly became like a number one bestseller and all of that stuff. But now he's re-releasing it through a traditional publisher as well. That's so exciting. It really is so exciting. So I'm bringing him back on like I think in a month, but in any case. So carnivore, for those who aren't familiar, it's, well, it's keto, but it's a dietary approach that a lot of people are following where you just, you just eat meat or an animal products. Some people do dairy, some people don't. It's a very extreme diet, obviously. A lot of people, especially with autoimmune conditions and things like that, seem to see radical, radical health changes that they couldn't quite fix no matter what they did with dietary choices. And then some of them, it seems like ultimately they are able to reintroduce food later. I'm fascinated by the concept. I'm like really fascinated by it. Explore it, explore the communities, try it out if you want, see if it works for you. If it does, great. If it doesn't, then that's fine too. Thoughts, Jen? Well, you know, I 100% believe that there are many people who have great results with a carnivore approach when they've had struggles with other dietary approaches. I'm not an expert on carnivore. It's definitely not something my body feels good with. You know, if I eat too much meat, I don't feel good even with other foods. You know, if I ate only meat, I don't think I'd feel well at all. My body does well with with more of a plant-based approach. But I 100% believe the people who say how great they feel. So I would, you know, if you feel interested in exploring it, explore it. Listen to your body. Exactly. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, 
clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips all for free plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years. And it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it, especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
All right. So the next question comes from Dana. And the subject, I did not plan for this to be the autophagy episode, but I guess since we're talking about it, she says, autophagy for someone with not much weight to lose. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your podcast. Hope you're doing well during this challenging time. I have been doing IF for about two and a half months. I usually clean fast for 17 to 18 hours daily. That's like the second or third time somebody's mentioned clean fasting. She says, I usually have snacks and one larger meal in my window. I work out daily, six to seven days a week, cycling, running, or HIIT classes, etc. My question is for those of us that don't have much weight to lose, but are still attracted to the health benefits of IF and hope for autophagy. I have only lost about two pounds in two and a half months, but honestly don't really need to lose weight. However, I'm really hoping that my stomach gets tighter. I have had three kids and have skin and a little bit more of a stomach than I would like, considering my current weight and fitness level. I haven't really seen a lot of tangible results yet from IF, but I do feel better, more energy, etc. I'm wondering for someone who doesn't have a lot to lose, do I need to increase my window to see more results? With my activity level, I work out fasted. I am definitely ready to eat after 17 to 18 hours of fasting. So haven't really tried going longer, but I'm willing to give it a try if you think that will make a difference for me and help with autophagy. Or is it just harder to see results when your body is already a healthy weight? Regardless, I love the increased energy level and IF lifestyle. Thank you and take care, Dana. All right. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, that's a great question. You know, I have not done a longer fast, meaning I've eaten every single day since 2016. (laughs) I have not taken a day where I didn't eat at all and then like went to bed, still fasted, and woke up the next day. So I haven't done a fast longer than 20-something hours. You know, occasionally I've hit just past the 24 or 25 mark, just if I've been super, super busy, but very unusual. But I still eat every waking day. That being said, I was scrolling through my Facebook memories the other day, and a photo of me from that day in 2016 popped up, and I was in Florida with my husband. We were getting ready to get on a cruise ship. I had already been in my goal range for a year at that point because I, I hit my goal in 2015. So it had been a year after being in my goal range, and I had so much weird loose skin in my armpit area, like under my arms, because I lost a lot of weight in my arms. You know, I lost over 80 pounds. And so, you know, when I think about that picture from 2016 and compare it to two years from then, in 2018, I have pictures taken from the beach. My arms had changed a whole lot. So my point is that it's hard to know. You know, I don't know how old you are. So a lot of it will depend on your age, because even though my arms look so much better now in 2020 than they did in 2016, I am going through menopause. And so going through menopause, one of the thing that's, things that's affected is skin elasticity. That's just a fun feature of menopause. So <laughs> my skin actually looks a little weirder now than it did in 2018 because of menopause. That's just happened over the past few months. But you'll just have to see what happens with your with your stomach. I bet you're going to be amazed. But, I mean, my stomach never went back to what it looked like when I was, you know, 20 after having two kids and losing a lot of weight. I wear a high-waisted bathing suit, and it really helps. (laughs) Melanie, what do you have to say? I love the old-style bathing suits and the high-waisted ones. Yeah, I found some great bathing suits when I was in Charleston at this little boutique, and they are two-piece, but the bottoms come up. You know, they're high-waisted, so it, it holds everything in, right? You know, but I still have a you know bikini top. I love it. 
I love that old style of bathing suits. I think they're so awesome. Well, it's very flattering for my body and I don't have to worry about my my tummy. Yeah. So I do have some thoughts, Dana, because actually I'm really glad, like we said, this autophagy episode, I wanted to separate. It seems like your goal is, you know, tightening up that stomach and things like that. But then you're asking about the results and helping with autophagy. So like autophagy itself isn't necessarily burning fat per se, but it could help with things like we talked about, like the skin tightening and stuff like that, because it's breaking, you know, it's using those old proteins and buildup. And I actually, I think autophagy is probably a key reason, like we talked about this before, that people don't experience as much of the loose skin and stuff like that, like they might with normal weight loss. That's what Dr. Fung really thinks, right? Oh, yeah. And I, ta- I talked to somebody today on my podcast or this morning, I interviewed somebody, his episode's coming out in October. He was amazing. But he at one point had been around 470 and lost through gastric bypass years ago and then regained weight as people tend to do because gastric bypass doesn't fix everything in your body. But now that he's losing weight with intermittent fasting, his body is is tightening up in a different kind of way. It's just thrilling to hear people saying that. He's still got loose skin, but he's seeing changes like he's starting to see some muscle definition that he didn't see when he lost the weight with the gastric bypass. The fasting weight loss is different. He's done it both ways. And actually, so this isn't autophagy, but for me personally, looking back at my different dietary history and choices, when I was eating like a super, super high pineapple diet, like I'm talking tons of pineapple, but pineapple is, I think, the only fruit that contains the enzyme bromelain, which is a protein digesting enzyme. And I'm pretty sure that results I saw in my skin and things like that from the pineapple, I mean, could have been from just high dosing that bromelain enzyme like all the time and like entering my system and being really systemic. And so the reason I bring that up is there is this whole idea of breaking down proteins and things like that. I would suggest, so two things. You're asking if you need to increase your fasting to see results. You don't mention at all what you're eating at all. But a tweak, if you haven't tried making a dietary tweak, that can be something to try. I'm not saying calorie restriction. I'm saying like tweaking what you're eating. So basically be like, if you're eating a standard American diet, you know, switching to like a whole foods diet, not a processed diet. If you are eating already a whole foods diet, if you're doing low carb, maybe trying low fat instead. If you're doing low fat, maybe trying low carb. There's a lot of things you can switch up diet wise that can make radical differences. And if you haven't switched up diet before, I think for a lot of people, they will potentially see a lot more effects from making a big dietary shift compared to like adding an extra hour of fasting. And then lastly, if you specifically want to target autophagy though, like if just for whatever goal reason, if you have a day that is very low protein, that can encourage having like a time of more autophagy. So not every day, but like a day here and there where, you know, maybe you do plant-based and you do really low protein. If you're doing something like ADF, you could make that down day a very low protein day. So just some thoughts. I again want to reiterate that when you're on the other side of menopause, just be aware that skin is different over there. (laughs) I have, you know, the whole experience of being premenopausal and going through the whole experience. Now I'm going through menopause. I'm not officially postmenopausal yet, but I might be in a few months, depending on what happens. But 
I will say, it, you know, after menopause, skin is different. Hormones are powerful. Even with intermittent fasting. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to mourn that my skin is changing because it's what happens when you get older. I feel great. I'm healthy and can't turn back time. <laughs> intermittent fasting is pretty amazing, though, but still. It, it can't solve, you know, that hormones do change during menopause. I mean, that's why I think it's so important to just be everything we do, <laughs> make it supportive of hormonal health in our body because they drive the train on so many things. So, so yeah, so I'm having to be more purposeful with my, you know, what I'm doing for skin elasticity, for example, and just thinking about, well, you know, it's okay to see differences and changes. Okay, I can't not make a plug just because we're talking about skin. For any listeners who are interested, if you want to look to skincare for health and wellness, majority of skincare in the U.S., unfortunately, is really, really high in toxins, endocrine disruptors. So like literally it's affecting your hormones like we're talking about. So that's why Jen and I really love Beauty Counter. So they make skincare makeup that is completely free of endocrine disruptors supportive of the skin, basically everything you could want. I'm super grateful for them. So our link for them is melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter and something special and magical might happen after you place your first order. It will happen. It will. The reason that company was founded was because the founder, her, one of her, her friend or her sister, I should probably look this up. So I tell this story right <laughs> every time, but actually had a lot of fertility issues surrounding hormone disruption and endocrine disruptors. And that's when she realized that for women, the massive exposure that we have to endocrine disruptors through our skincare makeup is just, it's overwhelming. And like now when they test like the placenta or newborn babies, the level of endocrine disruptors in their system already is shocking. It's, I mean, we're basically like set up. This is why fasting is so important because we're like almost born now set up with these problems. It's alarming, Melanie. Just, you know, I retired from teaching and I started teaching in 1990 and children are different now. They're emotionally different. There's so many factors at play, but they're so much more likely to have mood disorders. I mean, it, it's astonishing. Schools now have teams of people to control, you know, out of control kids. Like I remember one kid in 1993 that, that had trouble controlling his behavior to that degree in my class. And now it's like every school. It's insane. It is. It is. And it's multifactorial. It's not just, you know, but that that's definitely one of them. The chemicals. It's really sad. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. It's almost like a really sad story. It's not like it's our body's fault, but I feel like our bodies are being filled with these things that are toxic and our body just doesn't know what to do with. Well, I mean, even just something simple like hand sanitizer, the proliferation of hand sanitizer and how, you know, what's the effect on your gut microbiome if you're using hand sanitizer all the time? Yep. It's crazy. Oh, that's a little fun fact I learned though, like yesterday, I think. Yeah. Cause I'm prepping to interview Cynthia Thurlow, who you've been on her show, right? Multiple times? Yes. I Maybe twice. One of them just came out today, I think, or something. Yeah, well, today as of the day we're recording. But yeah, she's awesome. I love her. And I really like her. So I, I've been listening to a lot of her interviews to prep for that interview. And she was saying how one of the reasons it's super duper important not to lose weight while breastfeeding you know, so especially, you know, things like intermittent fasting and stuff like that, which might encourage weight loss is because one of the ways our body actually detoxes is through the breast milk. So if we have this high 
burden of hormone disruptors, you know, pesticides, toxins, all these different things. If you're breastfeeding and losing weight, they might be releasing from your fat stores and going into your milk supply into your baby. Yeah, I actually have that in Fast Feast Repeat. I talk about that specifically, that exact thing. And some people get really, really, really upset in the Facebook groups that we say, please do not do intermittent fasting while breastfeeding. And we do not allow people to recommend it in the groups. And they're like, well, I'm doing it and it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, you know, you don't know if it's fine. It's There's more than just milk supply at stake here. And it's it's the toxins that I would worry about. And just you don't want to take that risk because we're in such a toxic world right now. And you have the rest of your life to do intermittent fasting. But right now, while you're breastfeeding, consider that the fourth trimester. And you breastfeed that baby and you're focused on the baby and the nutritional needs. And that's it. Not trying to lose weight. That's my advice. And I know it's frustrating. I've you know been a mom. I've been an overweight mom. And I know you're ready to get back to your body that feels like you. But I would just could not strongly urge you enough not to do intermittent fasting while breastfeeding. Yeah, 100%. It's not just milk supply. And that's the, the thing that people miss. They're like, well, my milk supply is fabulous. But if you are, you know, losing weight, burning fat, unless you've been, you know, living like a monk and using only beauty counter products <laughs> um, and like been in the hole, your body probably has a pretty high toxic burden and it will be most likely going into that milk supply. Yeah. That is just really sad. It's really sad. It is. Okay, so we have a question from Amy, and the subject is ketosis on IF. She says, hello, I recently started listening to your podcast. I am on episode nine. I heard you talk about ketosis. I have tried the ketogenic diet off and on for the past three years. The basis of the ketogenic diet says it takes 14 days to get in the fat-adapted state and attain ketosis where your body will use your fat for fuel. You mentioned that after 16 hours or so, you can start seeing the effects of ketosis. I am just slightly confused by these two similar but contradicting pieces of information that I have seen. Could you please explain if both types of ketosis are the same? If so, then why does it take 14 days in the ketogenic diet versus 16 hours of fasting to bring you to the same state? Thanks in advance, Amy. All right, Amy, thank you so much for your question. So yes, there's a lot of confusion out there in the world <laughs> surrounding low-carb diets, fat burning, ketogenic state, ketosis, all of these things. I think we very easily lump together fat burning with ketosis or, you know, being in ketosis when they're not the same thing. So like, for example, you could never enter ketosis a day in your life and still burn fat and lose weight because fat burning and carb burning are what the body naturally does. Ketosis is a, another state, a deeper, in a way, fat burning state that occurs when you don't have carbs anymore as an option. So if you do have carbs in your body as an option, you have glucose, your brain can use that glucose and you can still be burning fat. So for example, we know when people do exercise, people exercise all the time. And there's always this idea of what type of exercise is runs more on fat and what type of exercise runs more on carbs. And that discussion that people have been having for years and years and years, which is a true discussion <laughs> because there are studies on what types of exercise burns more fat versus carbs. That's not talking about so much even the level of carbs in your body more is like what type of activity is going to more preferentially use fat or more preferentially use 
carbs. So that gets confusing because it seems like you have to go low carb to burn fat or you have to fast to burn fat when you don't have to. But moving beyond that, when you go low carb and you do deplete your glycogen stores, which are the stored forms of your carbs, either by a low carb diet or by fasting, when there reaches a point where your body doesn't have, quote, carbs inside of it, it has to fuel the brain, which can only run on glucose or ketones. So we can enter a ketogenic state when we are low carb for a while. I can talk about the timeline of that. This will probably occur when you deplete your stored glycogen, and then the body starts generating ketones. And that's when you enter the ketogenic state. So she's heard it takes 14 days to get into a fat adapted state. So like two weeks, I don't know where that statistic's coming from, but for like a lot of people, it depends on what your glycogen, your carb stores are when you start. And it depends on what type of diet you're following, depends on fasting. It depends on so many things as to when are those glycogen stores depleted so that you switch over to ketosis. But the thing is, you're probably going to be fat burning before you switch over to ketosis. So it's not like you never burn fat until you enter ketosis and then you burn fat. If that was the case, the only way to burn fat would be to be in ketosis. And you have to try to get into ketosis. So (laughs) clearly people lose weight without doing that. I think this is like a huge confusion though that's out there because there is the whole keto diet. There's the whole, you know, it's a small nuance that I actually think is like very confusing for a lot of people. Well, and also the thing that you can be in ketosis from foods or ketosis from your stored body fat. And those are also two different things. Right, so you could be in ketosis and never burn your... (laughs) And never burn a molecule of body fat. You could be in ketosis 24-7 and never burn any body fat ever. Or you could never be in ketosis and only burn and burn body fat. I never thought about that. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, you know, we have all these supplements now that promise to get you ketosis, right? Take this supplement, you'll be in No, you're drinking ketones. <laughs> or drink this fat coffee and you're going to have ketones, but you're making it from the fat in your coffee. So... I wouldn't stress so much about that and and instead think about you want to become fat adapted to burning your own fat for fuel during the fast. And so we want to keep insulin low. And yes, you can get in ketosis with fasting. It might not happen in two weeks even. It might take longer than that of the daily fasts. You know, do your daily eating window approach. I talk about this in great detail in Fast, Feast, Repeat. You deplete your glycogen a little bit over time. And then eventually you get to the point where you're getting in ketosis. Just out of curiosity for myself, you talked last week about the the breath ketone monitor, Melanie, that you have. And y'all sent me one as well. And I just did a quick blow into it. And I'm at a seven right now on it. And yesterday I ate 100% carbs. <laughs> of course, it was not 100% carbs. There's no foods or unless you're eating, I don't know, straight table sugar. But, you know, I had a vegetarian meal with fat, but it was mostly carbs. And I'm getting in ketosis today, strong ketosis. So does that mean you need to start measuring your ketones? No. The only reason I have it is because Melanie sent it to me and it's fun. And <laughs> I send things to Jen. <laughs> she sends things to me that you don't necessarily need to have because I don't want people to stress over you know, I can never eat unless my ketone level is a whatever. That's not going to be helpful. But yes, you can get into ketosis, even with carbs, through intermittent fasting. Don't stress about it. You may never get into ketosis, like Melanie said, and still burn fat too. Yeah, what's actually interesting is 
probably I lost the most weight when I was eating super, 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 super high carb from fruit in a one meal a day situation, very high protein, but low fat. And whenever I would measure my ketones, I don't think I ever entered ketosis the next day, but really, yeah, but I felt fantastic. I still felt like I was in the fasted state because I was, I was in the fasted state and I was burning fat, but I wasn't generating ketones. That's interesting. Cause I do, gen- I generate ketones every day. I always found that really, really fascinating because there were some times I was like, I swear, I was like, I know I'm in ketosis right now. And then I would test and be like, nope. (laughs) But I felt, I actually felt amazing. My theory is that I was basically filling up glycogen every day and like my liver was probably preferentially using that as, you know, the fuel, but, but running on body fat too. Question. Was that the period of time when you were drinking a lot of wine? I mean, I've been drinking a lot of, well, I was before then. I was drinking more wine when I was not having the fruit actually, but I never tested ketones then. I do find that if I have wine the next day, just with this little tool that you sent, I don't get ketones as early in the day if I have wine at all. You know what else is interesting? Yeah. The wine thing, the alcohol thing is so interesting because I remember that one guy, I think it was when we interviewed the Keto Mojo people and he had done, it wasn't who we interviewed, but somebody at his company had I mean, remember he did an experiment where he like only drank wine, but he was always in ketosis, which was fascinating. Well, I'm not only drinking wine. I have food with it too. So (laughs) yeah, but, and also we're all different, but for me, it explains why I never had great results losing weight when I was including a lot of alcohol. And I talked about in Fast Feast Repeat, how I delayed alcohol for a period of time to get to my initial goal weight. And that really helped. I lost weight very quickly with no alcohol and delaying the ultra processed foods. But I was eating plenty of carbs, lots of carbs and fat at the time and losing about two pounds a week. And I was already, you know, approaching a 75 pound weight loss. So that's kind of remarkable. Yeah, that's incredible. It really is. And it just shows that for me, for my body, food quality was so important at that period of time to lose weight quickly. And then, you know, after that, I reintroduced all the foods, reintroduced the alcohol, and, you know, I've been maintaining my weight. So if I wanted to lose weight, though, for me, I know, for me personally, if I wanted to lose weight, I would need less alcohol and also probably less fat. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, 
enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, actually, and I'll put a link in the show notes. I don't think I've mentioned this at all on this podcast. I did an interview with the company called Lumen. They actually make, oh my goodness, Jen, the people in my Facebook group are obsessed with this device. Somebody actually just asked if we could make a separate Facebook group just for the people using this Lumen device. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle a second Facebook group. So like in clinical trials and studies, when they measure carb or fat burning, they do it by, and I can never say the word, indirect calorimeter, calorimetry or whatever. Yeah. Calorimetry. Yeah. I think that's the way I would say it. That doesn't mean it's right, but... (laughs) which actually measures the carbon dioxide and oxygen ratio in your breath to determine if what you are burning is coming from carbs or fat. So their device, it doesn't measure ketosis. It measures, are you burning more carbs or are you burning more fat? See, I think that could be so useful. It's fascinating. I mean, people are just, in my group are just like, dying about it. And the the interview with the founders, he talks all about the science of it. He talks about how it's different from measuring ketones. Yeah. I don't want people to chase ketones. That's the thing. You know, I don't want people to think that chasing ketones is what you need to do. The lumen, that's the name of it? Lumen, yeah. I think that that sounds very intriguing. Do you have one? I don't have one. I need one. That sounds fun. Jen needs a lumen. (laughs) I would love it. Just it's just it's fascinating to me. I'll get them to send you one. Awesome. <laughs> but a quick note about it. What I love about them and when I interviewed him and I remember when he was talking about this, I was like, Jen would love this man. He was talking about how when they first created the device, they thought 
because it comes with an app, like I said, that makes dietary recommendations and you put in what you're eating so it can ascertain how that's affecting whether or not you're burning carbs or fat. And he said when they first developed it, they thought that obviously you would want to be burning fat more and that probably a low carb diet would support that. And like, that would be other recommendations for me. But when they were like developing it and like going through the trials and testing it, they realized that that's like not at all what we should be going for. Like it's more like metabolic flexibility and more about, it's not going to automatically say eat low carb. Like it's, that's not going to be its go-to answer. It's very nuanced. And its goal is to make you metabolically efficient at processing different fuel substrates based on, you know, your diet, your lifestyle, your goals. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the interview that I did with him. And then you can actually get it for $50 off at melanieavalon.com slash lumen with the code melanieavalon. So it's really cool. It sounds really cool and probably a better option than trying to test ketones just because chasing ketones can be so confusing. Really quickly to that point, I think measuring ketones is extremely valuable, like amazing. Oh, I'm having fun with it. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. I think our concern, just to clarify, is that people get into this thing of chasing ketones. So they think they're failing if they're not measuring certain ketones. Getting in ketosis, measuring ketones is very valuable information, very specific. It's, it's, It's really up there with the whole biohacking concept. You just need to go in with the mindset of what you want to get out of it and what you're looking to measure, what you're looking to achieve rather than, oh, if I'm burning ketones, I'm burning fat. And if I'm not, then I'm not like, it's not that simple. So I think it's a really valuable tool if you are of the type that wants to ascertain how levels of fasting and how, how your diet may be affecting levels of ketosis. But I think for a lot of people, they might just misinterpret the readings Right. Like I said, they're going to be shooting for a number. And, you know, even in the the keto world, I've seen many articles about that that say, stop chasing a number. You know, these are people that are doing a keto diet and they're ketogenic and they're like, stop chasing a number. That's not the goal. So we don't want to bring that into the fasting community where we're trying to chase a number. But yes, fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, playing around with it, but not feeling like, you know, I'm failing one day or what, you know. But to me, it's interesting to see I'm eating a very high-carb diet and getting into ketosis. The device is verifying that. So that's really what I'm having fun with. You know, can I eat almost all carbs? Because yesterday my dinner was beans, corn, tomatoes over rice. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's white rice even. That really is fascinating. It's fascinating. And, and, you know, people are like, you can't get into ketosis eating like that. Well, yeah, I can. <laughs> and I am. And I'm measuring it. And it's fascinating. I feel like your body must so readily start the ketogenic process in the liver. Like it's obviously very efficient and very welcoming to doing that. It's fascinating. It's true. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Lots of goodies, I feel like, in this episode. So for listeners, if you would like to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I love our Instagram. <laughs> I say that every time. Mine is at Melanie Avalon. Jen is at Jen Stevens. You can get links to all the stuff that we talk about in the show notes. And also the stuff that we like is at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. We had some great questions. It's good stuff. 
Great discussion. Yep. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.